Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Uh, Anyway, we've been talking about spiritual anchors these last couple of weeks. Those intentional practices and those mindsets that anchor us in our faith. And faith can be like a boat that gets rocked by the winds and the waves of this life. And just like a boat that's not anchored, our faith can get damaged, it can get weakened or even capsized in the midst of the storms of life. And we've talked about the Word of God and how it absolutely anchors us as we read and study it and apply it to our lives. And and last week, we talked about uh, an active, consistent prayer life and how it can anchor you in the midst of any storm. And today, worship is the anchor we are going to talk about. Worship can anchor you in your faith. And, and I, I'm sure that you know uh, the, the meaning of worship, that worship is, is more than just a time of singing in the church. We tend to compartmentalize uh, to a fault sometimes in, in our lives. We think, well, worship, that's the 15, 20 minutes that I sing in church. No, worship's so much more than that. How many know that? You know that? I mean, really, do you know that? Yeah, absolutely is. Worship's so much more than that. Have you ever considered how worship can really become part of your prayer life and prayer can really be part of our worship life and it, it, it really, it, it doesn't really matter how it crosses over, but they overlap. Like you could be worshiping and all of a sudden you're praying in song and you could be praying and all, and all of us are singing and all of a sudden you're praying in song. You know what I'm saying? They overlap, they interconnect. I don't know where one starts and one stops and it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. But worship at its heart, and, I, and I've, I've talked about this before in the past, worship is anything that brings worth to God. If you take that word back to the old English, you do a quick uh, study on it, find the entomology of the word worship. It comes from the old English and it means worth-ship, bringing worth to. So anything we do that brings worth to God is worship. And I, I've heard a number of preachers say this, and, and you could write this down. I probably should have put this on the, on the screen, but I didn't. It, so, so I'll say it twice so you can write it down. There are two great passions in the world. Two great passions. God's passion to be glorified and mankind's passion to be satisfied. I want you to think about that. God's passion to be glorified and mankind's passion to be satisfied. And if you think about it at all, these two often compete against one another. They're competing passions almost all the time. God has done everything he can possibly do for us He's created us all uniquely in his image. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're unique. You gotta pause a little bit. You're unique, right? We're all unique, but we're created in his image. He created us with free will and choice so that we wouldn't be forced into submission to him. It's our choice to serve him. It's our choice to choose him. Aren't you happy for that? Like he didn't, he's not just some puppeteer or puppet master in the sky and we're a bunch of marionettes and he just controls everything about us and everything we do. He doesn't do that. He loves you enough to give you a choice so that you can choose him or not. It's your choice. And he loved us so much that he gave his only son Jesus to die for our sins and provide a way that we can have eternal life to look forward to. 
We can live with hope that there's an eternal life coming after this. He's even poured out his blessing on us in this life with the things we need to live abundantly. How many want to live abundantly? Amen, we all do. And extend even those blessings to others as we are his hands and feet. God has done everything for us. He's done everything imaginable for us. And I could go on and on with things he's done. But he set it all up and he is who he is and he's put it all together and he's done everything for us that he needs to for us to easily glorify him. For us to naturally just give him praise. To worship him, to give him worth. He's done it all. And all of this should result that he's done. All of it should result in our desire to glorify him, to bring his name glory, to make his name famous. With all that he's done, there should be no problem in giving him the glory he deserves. He's done everything we need, he needs to, in order for us to easily and willfully glorify his name. Yet, our passion to be satisfied can sometimes be in direct opposition with his passion to be glorified. Let's be honest with ourselves today. Let's look in the mirror a bit and be authentic. How much time and effort do we put forth to satisfy ourselves with what we want in this life, to satisfy our fleshly desires, versus the amount of time and effort we put forth to glorify God? If you think about that, it can be convicting. If that convicts you even a little bit, would you just say, yeah. yeah, it does me. Yeah. We get so busy thinking about everything else that we forget that we are here to glorify him, to bring him glory. Two great passions in the world, right? God's passion to be glorified and man's passion to be satisfied. And we try to satisfy ourselves with so many different things. But here's the good news. Worship, bringing worth to God, it brings those two passions together in a beautiful way. God's passion to be glorified is fulfilled when we draw our satisfaction from our worship of him. Psalms 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's an act of worship to delight yourself in him. And the desires of your heart come. Maybe those desires change as you delight yourself in him. That happens. But you're fulfilled and, and the desires of your heart become yours. They become a reality for you when you delight yourselves in the Lord. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. What is, I'm, I know what joy is, but what's fullness of joy? That's like as much as you can possibly get. There's fullness of joy in his presence. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we know that he inhabits the praises of his people. He makes his residence in the midst of those that glorify him. And when we find ourselves in his presence, we have fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. That's our passion to be satisfied, completely fulfilled. So worship fulfills, authentic worship fulfills our desire to be satisfied. And it fulfills God's desire and passion to be glorified. Worship does that. It's an amazing thing. First, um, uh, let, me, let me be direct this morning real quick. I, I'm never direct, so let me be direct. Working, if it's done to bring God worth, is worship. Giving, when done with a heart that brings worth to God, is worship. 
Prayer and fasting, when practiced to bring worth to God, is worship. So we might say, well, how can prayer and fasting not bring worth to God? Well, when you do it to be seen, when you do it to glorify self, when you do it and you have to tell everybody how much you've done it. I know we have signups out here, but no one's looking at the signups. We just want to encourage you to fast and pray, right? It's not so we can blast your name all over social media and say, look at how many people have fasted. Look, look at so-and-so, how much they fasted this week. Fasting and anything we do can be, can be done to glorify self. But also anything we can, we can do can be done to glorify God. If it brings worth to him, it glorifies him. Singing, dancing, playing instruments, if it's done to bring worth to God, it is then worship. You know, I, th- I think it's interesting that for so many years, maybe this was in the 50s and the 60s, I, I don't know, maybe during the holiness movement, dancing was completely forbidden for Christians in the church, kind of across the board. Dancing was really bad. How many remember those days where if you danced, you were the devil, right? If you danced. But you know, the Bible talks a lot more about dancing before the Lord than it does about even even clapping your hands or singing. It talks a lot about dancing, right? Dancing before the Lord in worship. So if something can be done for the glory of God to bring him worth, it's, it's worship. It's worship. You can dance to glorify self, and you can dance to glorify God. You can sing to glorify self. I said this a couple times this morning, and if if I ever say this to you, I I don't really, I'm not trying to correct you, don't take it that way, but people call this a platform or a a, a stage all the time, right? And I always want to tell them, and I usually do, this is not a stage, this is a platform. A stage is for performing, a platform is for ministering. There's a big difference. Now, that could be splitting hairs. I get all that. But you know what? There's a mindset. There's a mindset that nobody up here who sings should be performing for you. And I'm afraid that sometimes happens in churches, that it becomes performance-based rather than giving God glory and, and bringing worth to his name. Everything we do can be worship as long as we're doing it for the purpose of bringing him worth and glorifying him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it to bring worth to his name, to glorify him, to worship him. And just a second ago, I I said that we should be authentic with ourselves, look in the mirror and be authentic with ourselves. Did you know that Merriam-Webster's word of the year for 2024 is the word authentic? According to CNN, and I, you know, don't always quote CNN from the pulpit, but I will this time, Merriam-Webster's online dictionary has had a high volume of searches for the word authentic, and its definition for several, and its definition for several years now. But in 2023, there was a substantial increase due in part to stories and conversations about AI, celebrity culture, the discussions around identity, and the content on social media. And and so Merriam-Webster declared the word authentic as the word of 2024. Here's what I think. In a world where reality is being confused with fantasy and where truth is believed to be relative to the individual and not absolute from one source that we must come underneath, people are craving the authentic more than they ever have before. They want authenticity in all things. 
The bottom line is that fake will never satisfy our desire for authentic. The word of God says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the hearts of men or in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. What's more authentic than the truth about eternity? It's authentic, and the implications that come with talking and knowing and understanding the concept of eternity. We have a desire for the authentic that's actually built in us. It says he planted eternity in the hearts of men. There's this desire for the authentic that's built right into us. God created us with a desire for authenticity. But that really shouldn't surprise you because we're created in his image and he has a desire for authenticity, especially in reference to our worship. He wants to know our worship is real. I said a minute ago that, that God is not a puppet master in the sky doing like this, saying, okay, now it's time to sing and dance before me. It's time to worship me at work. It's time to worship me in your relationship. He doesn't do that. He gives you a choice, and he wants your choice to be him, and he wants that choice to be authentic. Authentic. Look what it says in John 4, 23 through 24. It says, yet a time is coming and has now come, this is Jesus speaking, when the true worshipers will worship, meaning they'll give worth to the Father, bring worth to the Lord in everything they do. They'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He seeks those kinds of worshipers, church. He looks for those kinds of people. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Authentic worship from our hearts will fulfill our passion to be satisfied while fulfilling God's passion to be glorified. That is precisely why it is an anchor for our faith that we can't ignore. And so just real quickly, in the next few minutes, I want to give you three practical aspects of worship that, that make it that anchor of our faith. So number one, or point A, it's, 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 it creates a shelter or a harbor of shelter. It creates a harbor of shelter. Worship creates a harbor of shelter. A harbor is a place on the coast where ships and boats can find shelter, especially when protected by rough waters or from, by, or from rough waters by piers, jetties, and other artificial structures. Authentic worship from our hearts anchors us in that it creates a place of refuge and safety in the stressful storms of life. Raising a hallelujah in the midst of the storm creates a safe place. And, you know, I will always remember that, always remember that now because the visual I'll get, the visual I'll get in my mind is Pastor Jared sitting there with slippers on because I've never thought about that before. And it, it shocked me a little bit that he is an old enough man to wear slippers around the house. So... I was thankful for that, by the way. Um, it anchors us and it creates that place of refuge and safety. Um, I love this picture, by the way. Show this. It's one of my favorites. Most of you have seen this before. I, I love this picture. It's one of my favorite paintings or pictures or whatever you call it. But the fierceness of the waves versus the strong tower of the lighthouse and the calm man, I don't even know if you can see him, but there's a guy coming out the door there. He's just standing there watching. I mean, it looks like he's just going to be swept away at any moment by the raging storm and the raging waves around him. And he just, I can't see his face, but I think he's just going, huh, this is pretty wild. It's pretty awesome. He's standing 
on and in that strong tower. And um, you know, when I see this picture, you can leave it up there for a second, it, it reminds me of some of the hymns of the church. There's a cleft in the rock of ages where my soul may safely hide while the storms of life are raging and the billows roll over the tide. And more of you may know this one, rock of ages, cleft for me. I always wondered, what's a cleft? I always thought that was a problem with your, your, the cleft palate or whatever. I thought that was, that's all I knew. But a cleft is, is a spot in a rock, in, a, 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 an indentation, if you will, that becomes a shelter. He's our rock of ages. He's a cleft in the rock for us, a place to hide in him. Let me hide myself in thee, that hymn says. Worship puts us in the presence of the rock of ages himself. He is immovable. Did you know that? Your Jesus is the immovable rock. He can't be moved. Nothing can move him or jostle him out of place. And we can hide within the clefts of Jesus as our rock of ages. Again, our worship brings us into his very presence where we can safely ride out any storm that tries to sweep us away. And again, I got to remind you, worship is not just singing. It's putting or giving God worth in everything that we do. Some of you hate going to work. How can you make your work, your job, worship unto God? Well, I can tithe off of what I make. Yeah, that's one way, but let's go way deeper than that. How can you make it worship? Like, I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'm going to make work worship. I'm going to let my work bring worth to God. Maybe you're a light in a dark place. Maybe you find ways to have, or, or you look for those divine appointments in the midst of your workday that you can pray for people, that you can share with people. Some of you can share very openly. Some of you have to be very careful with that. But you find ways to use all that we do and all that we're a part of as worship to God, to, make, to bring worth to his name in the midst of what you're doing. How do you make going to a family reunion with people you may not like worship? Maybe the same way. You're a light. You become a listener rather than a talker. You pray with people. You be an encouragement to people. Every situation you can think of in your life, you can turn it to worship, to make God worthy, to put, give his name worth. I remember um, when uh, Anna, my daughter, and yeah, I probably have to buy her dinner now, that's fine. When she became pregnant with her and Ben's firstborn, um, Stetson, and they, uh, they went in for that first pregnancy checkup and the doctor said there was no heartbeat. Some of you know the story, some of you may not. Obviously, this was very hard for them both to hear. It was hard for grandma and grandpas to hear too, but we prayed. And I remember very distinctly, don't you love it when your kids minister to you? I remember very distinctly the following Sunday after they heard that news. It was one of those moments I'll never forget. Anna was leading worship, just happened to be leading worship that next Sunday, and one of the songs that had been chosen for that day was Goodness of God. So I watched as my daughter led that song with boldness and confidence, belting it out in faith, knowing what was going on in her heart, that her baby might not be alive. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. 
With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And then your goodness is running after, it's running after me. In the midst of a storm, you can sing and worship and bring worth to God no matter what's happening. And, and not very many people knew what, was, what she was going through that day. I did in watching her find that harbor of safety in the midst of her storm by singing out and worship. It connected and connecting with God and inviting his presence into the chaos of, of, that, that this life can be sometimes. It, it absolutely broke me. I, I was just a ball and mess. I was proud, humbled, super excited at my own faith being built up. And as you know, Stetson did have a heartbeat. And he was born nine months later. This is, there's his uh, dedication picture. But even if it would have turned out differently, I don't think it would have affected the song that she was singing that day. There's a harbor of shelter and safety there's an emotional place of refuge when you are in his presence. And if you are worshiping him in everything that you do, then you just get to enjoy living in his presence. Some of us just, that, that goes, we, we ride the waves, right? We're up, we're down, we're up, we're down, we're up, we're down. But if you're standing in that strong harbor of shelter, you're not up and down with the waves, you're standing on the solid rock, the immovable rock of Jesus, and it doesn't shake you. And many of you have had similar situations like that where you've stood strong and you've stood your ground and, and as the waves came in, you were on that, you were holding on tight, you were in that shelter, that harbor of, of shelter, and you worship God right through the midst of it. And as pastor, I get to see that sometimes, and it's magnificent to watch. Look at the faith. Look at what that person is doing, and I just want to go, yeah, that is awesome. Even in the midst of bad news, even in the midst of terrible things, God can still be our strong rock. And let me remind you today that Worship anchors you. It anchors you because it creates that harbor of shelter and refuge. Number two, or point B, it raises our flag of surrender. Worship does that. It was probably more common back before ships ran on fuel and had only the currents and the wind and the manual labor to maneuver. But when two ships engaged in war with one another, one ship would eventually raise the white flag of surrender or be sunk along with the crew. And this raising of the flag of surrender was symbolic of acknowledging defeat and that they were willing to cease all hostilities towards the opposing ship. By raising it, they were saying that they were willing to submit without any further resistance. This type are typically resulted in the opposing ship's crew boarding the, surrender, the surrendering ship, to negotiate the terms of their surrender. And we went, when we enter into a life of worship, a life that gives God worth all in everything that we do, and give him the kind of glory that he deserves, it's like we are raising the white flag of surrender. Worship is an act of surrendering to him and his ways. Because we've come to the end of trying to live in our own power. We give up the controls and we live our lives to bring him glory and not just satisfy ourselves with our own desire. Remember the two great passions? Worship fulfills them both. 
I remember a time in my life when I was just done with trying. I, I'm, I'm not one of those people who's, who's I'm not so hard-headed that I can't learn quickly, so I wasn't in a life of sin for a very long time, but I was in a life of sin for a while, and it didn't take me very long to realize I, when I'm in control, I'm a mess. When I'm in charge of my life, it's a disaster. And so when I heard the message of the gospel, I grasped onto it. I, I latched onto it. And you know what? I'm so glad that I did. Because I, I, I mean, when he has the controls, things go so much better. How many can relate with that? Amen. Like, you know what it was like when you were in charge, right? Look out. What a mess. You're driving the car of your life down the wrong lane of the interstate, some of you. It's so much better to put him in charge. And that's what I'm talking about. Worship, it, just the essence of worship itself, letting God or giving God glory for everything he does and, and, and bringing worth to his name in all that you do. It's an act of surrendering it all to him. It's worship to do that. And it raises that flag of surrender. There's a lot of people who are at the end of themselves, church. Some of them are in here on Sunday morning. Some of them are in here on Wednesday nights. And, we're at the, and when they're at the end of themselves, the end of themselves trying to do it because everything they've tried hasn't worked. The church needs to be there saying, come on and let me show you what I did. Let me show you what happened to me when I let go and sent up that white flag of surrender to God. Here's the really cool thing, though. Surrendering to God in that way, it's not defeat, like the ship surrendering. It's actually victory. We give up in order to win. And the Lord doesn't belittle us and force us into a life of slavery. He draws closer to us as we surrender to him. We find more peace, more joy, more fulfillment in this life as we raise our flag of surrender and our flag of worship really is what it is. And I think... That's why so many of us raise our hands while we sing. Again, worship isn't just about the 20 minutes that we sing while we're in church. It's, it's not just about the music either. It's a whole life of glorifying him and all that we do. But we raise hands a lot of times in church. Everybody do that. Would you just raise your hands like this? I mean, everybody in this place, hold them up. Hope you wore your deodorant today. Raise them up, right? Raise them up. Why do we do this when we sing? Why do we do this in, in an, as an act of worship. How is that an act of worship? You, could, I'm gonna, you can hold them up as long as I do if you want. <laughs> the Bible says we should, number one. 1 Timothy 2.8, in every place, up, oh, psyched you out. <laughs> in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. In every place of worship, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, I want men to pray, that's men and women by the way, we'll say mankind, I want men and women to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. It's an act of surrender. What's significant about lifting hands? It's, it's, I think it's, it's an act of surrendering for some, like, like raising the white flag of surrender as we worship and adore our Savior. I read recently that we raise our hands in worship like a little child who holds their hands up to their parents, expressing their dependence on them. 
You know, and I, I know some people don't feel comfortable with that. I don't ever want to say, if you don't feel comfortable raising your hands, then you don't know what worship's all about. It's not even about raising your hands. But when it flows out of your heart, I'm telling you, something happens to you, and you realize that you can't do it on your own, that you can't be in control of all your life because it's a mess when you are, and you got to give those controls over to God. you got to surrender them. you got to submit to Him. And when you do that, you're all of a sudden like, oh, Daddy, I'm so dependent on you. God, I'm so dependent on you. I need you. I heard somebody say once, it's like when somebody pulls a gun, you go, surrender. I don't think God's pulling a gun on you. I think it's more like, help me. I need you. I want you. I desire you. I want you to be in control and not me. Because I messed it up and you won't mess it up because you are my rock no matter what I'm going through. And you don't have to have music going for you to raise your hands. You could be just worshiping in silence, just telling God how much you love him and, and bringing worth to him by spending time with him. And, and in that time, you could just be like, you know, I'm just gonna raise my hands and say, Lord, I'm yours. Take me into your arms and hold me. Some of you haven't been loved like that in a long time. And God wants to just pick you up and hold you and love on you and give you life like you've never experienced it before. This is our act of surrender. Our authentic worship of Jesus, not just in song, but when we bring him worth in all that we do, it raises up our white flag of surrender to him. We can't glorify him if we become so focused on satisfying our flesh. But we can absolutely glorify him and meet all of our own desires and our own satisf the, the things that we want to be satisfied with when we glorify him in all that we do. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Why do we do it backwards? When, all the, when I get all these things, then I'll seek you, God, because I'll know you're real and that you love me. Is that what it says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye second? Seek ye third? Seek ye first. Let all the other stuff go away. None of it matters. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things that you desire. And again, when you, when you seek him first, your desires change. But all those things you desire will be yours. They'll be added unto you. They'll maybe be added unto you. It doesn't say that. It says they will be added unto you. So worship is our anchor in that it, it's a safe harbor of shelter. It, it, it raises our flag of surrender. And number three, our point C, it, worship takes us to deeper waters. It probably comes as no surprise to you that ships need a certain amount of water in order to float and not drag on the bottom. And this amount of water is known as the ship's draft, quite simply, Incidentally, the, the more a ship weighs, the bigger it is, the more cargo it has, the more it weighs, the more people that are on it, the heavier it is, the more it will sink into the water and it will need more draft. It'll need more water. It's really fascinating how even a slight decrease in the water's depth requires a ship to reduce the amount of cargo it's carrying. This is especially significant when ships move through shallow pathways. The opposite is also true. The deeper the water, 
the more cargo a ship can carry. It's been estimated that an inch of water, think about this, an inch of water in, in the depth uh, it, within a port where a ship would unload its cargo can carry 57 additional tractors in weight. That's a lot of money added to one trip. That means that an additional inch of water in a port is worth millions of dollars for every ship that comes in. Millions, one inch of water. It's tremendous when you look at the numbers. When we say deep waters, I think one of the songs talked about it today, right? You take me deeper, you take me deeper. When we're talking about deep waters, a lot of the time we think it's a negative thing as in, I'm really in deep water now. But I think about deep water as a wonderful thing. The Old Testament pro prophet Ezekiel had a vision, and part of that vision included a river flowing out of the temple of God. The river was life-giving, and as it flowed, it grew in width and in depth. You might remember the song, uh, if you watch some kids' video, Christian kids' video songs, but deep and wide, deep and wide. Do you know that song? How does the rest of it go? There's a... Sing it again. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. That song comes right from Ezekiel 47. 47, verses 3 through 5. In his vision, he is led into the river. It says, as the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. How much is a thousand cubits? It's about 1,700 feet. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. Verse 4, he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. Now, this scripture has so many prophetic overtones and has multiple applications. I'm not going to get into all that today. I, I, what I want you to see this morning is that God's river of abundant life, it really has no bottom. It goes deeper and deeper, and the Lord wants to take you and lead you into those kinds of deeper waters. Worship is a catalyst to do just that. When we invite his presence into our lives, as we bring him glory, as we bring worth to his name in everything that we do, everything that we say, our relationship with him grows, and we begin to trust him more. We let go of those controls that we want to hold on to, and then he can lead us and where does he lead us? He leads us into deeper waters yet, deeper waters of a relationship with him. He desires that you go deeper in your knowledge of him, that you grow in depth when it comes to wisdom, that you go deeper in your commitment to surrendering to his will. He wants you to take you, he wants to take you deeper in every aspect of your relationship with him. He wants to go way deep with you. So we take his hand and he leads us into that ankle-deep water, and, and great, you just received Christ. Your feet are wet in this thing called Christianity. You're like, this feels pretty good. My feet are nice and cooled off. Feels good, right, to be saved. And the water's rushing by, and you're like, yeah, this is nice. But Jesus says there's more. He calls you to come deeper. Don't, don't, don't become content with where you are at. The river of life is deeper. You walk out a little further and it's a little scary because you start feeling the power of the current. And even others can see 
the effects a little bit that the river's having on you, but you go deeper until you are basically up to your knees and then up to your waist. And you realize that the water is really nice, but it's moving you around. You're like, whoa, I'm less in control than I was before. I'm deeper in my relationship with him. He's got me in deeper waters. And this thing called worship where I give worth to him is just pouring gasoline on that and driving me deeper and deeper and deeper into that relationship. But then he says there's more. He gently encourages you to come on out a little bit farther and you go and all of a sudden you are at the mercy of the river. It moves you and it takes you places you never thought possible. He's now in control and there's such freedom freedom. You're not in control, but there's freedom. It's like paradoxical, right? It's a paradox. How can you not be in control and yet have all this freedom? That's what Jesus does for you. Trading in our desires to be satisfied by the things of this world to glorify God in all that we do (coughs) is the heartbeat of bringing God worth. He is worthy of our our authentic worship and our worship anchors anchors us, excuse me, anchors our faith in such a magnificent way. Worship is an anchor for you. Bringing him worth, giving him the glory he's passionate about giving so that you are satisfied in your passion to be satisfied. It's an amazing thing. And ankle deep is great, but don't camp there. Knee deep is, 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 is really good too. It's awesome. But don't, don't live there. He's calling you to deeper, to go deeper. So then you go on the waist, you're like, man, I'm better than most Christians I know because I'm waist deep. They're all ankle deep or knee deep. They're, they're great people, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm as far as I need to go. And Jesus is just saying, no, you don't realize. Come out a little further. Then all of a sudden it's over your head and you're swimming, and you might even go down and check it out the bottom, and you can't find the bottom because there is no bottom. There's no end to his mercy and his grace and his love and his his desire to be in relationship with you. You realize that it never runs out. You know the weirdest thing that we say as Christians sometimes is, well, I didn't pray about that. I didn't ask God for that because, you know, he's got more important things to do than my little problem. Do you know how ridiculous that is? If he is all-powerful, then how could he ever run out of any power? So why would it even take, any, why would it take anything away from anybody else if you asked something, if you spent time with him? It's a ridiculous thing. The same is true in the river of God. We don't stop. We don't stop when we get so deep. I mean, we do a lot of times, but why? We're just uncomfortable. We don't know. We don't want to give up those controls. We don't, we don't know if we want to go that deep. We don't want to, we, we don't know if we really want to be that Jesus freak that crazy Christian walking around with their Bible. We don't know if we really want to do that. We, we, we just want to put the brakes on. I like to do some of the things I do, and, and I think that would come in conflict if I go any deeper with Christ. He'd start calling me out in relationship. As I'm spending time with him, and say, hey, you need to do this. And you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go that far. I love you, Jesus, but look, come on. You guys understand what I'm talking about? And he says, come on, the water's fine. Come on, just let go. Come on, none of that stuff will matter if you just jump into the, the, the fullness of the river that I have for you. 
I love you. I want you to be in that river, he says, with me. Because I've got stuff for you that you can't even imagine. So this morning, without singing, I want to do something kind of weird. It's only a quarter, 13 minutes after. All the time in the world, right? I want us to stand up. And if you're at home watching online, would you, would you stand wherever you are if you can and maybe grab the hand of the person next to you at home or even here if you want, if you're with your spouse or family, grab those hands and, and I, I just worship together for a second. And how do you do that? You just start bringing worth to God. And in this place, the fact that you're here, you've shown that you want to bring worth to God. The fact that you're viewing online today and taking time to do that shows that you're bringing worth to God. You're, you're bringing worth to God in doing that. But even taking it a step deeper, can you just take a few moments, raise your hands, raise your hands up in that we're dependent on you, God. We need you. We want you. And would you begin to lift your voice up and just tell him, how much you love him and how much you want him. It's just that simple. Begin to worship him from your heart. We're like all quiet, right? Don't be quiet. Lift up your voices. Nobody's going to care what you say next to you. And who cares if they do care? This is you and Jesus time, right? So just worship him. Lord Jesus, I love you. I give you my life. You are the best thing that's ever happened to me. My love for you surpasses anything that I could ever experience in this earth. I worship you, God, because you are worthy, because you love me with an everlasting love, because your blessings never cease to be poured out in my life. I love you, Jesus, because of all the things that you've added unto my life. I love you, Jesus, because you died on a cross for my sins and I can stand before you clean and set free and delivered and healed and forgiven. I love you, Jesus. Just lift your voices to him, church. Tell him how much you love him. I worship you, God. I give you praise. I thank you for the relationships I have on this earth. I thank you, God, for all that you've done. God inhabits the praises and the worship of his people. He really does. He comes alongside and he makes his residence there. Man, the presence of God, if you want it to flood, flood or just kind of flood your home or, or flood wherever you're at, wherever you're at, I mean, that's when you, when you need that, when you want that, when you desire that, you begin to worship him and it will be there. It's just like it just comes in. It's automatic. We're sitting there waiting to feel something, right? Sometimes. Well, God, if I can feel you, then that'll be, that'll be great. But I don't feel anything. Begin to worship him. Give him worth with your words, with your time. Shut everything off in your life, the, the TV, the, the phone, the social media for a while, and just tell him how awesome he is. And you watch him fill his presence, just fill your home. God, we worship you. We love you so much. We worship you.
God, we want to be that, those people that, that worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to worship you with authenticity. We don't need a sound system. We don't need a crowd of people. We don't need a band or we don't even need a good voice, God. We just want to worship you to bring worth to your name. I have to ask this this morning. If, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you, maybe you don't really understand what this whole worship thing is. Maybe you've never understood before what it's all about. And you're here today. I, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me, and I, I want a relationship with him. I want to start that process. Okay, I see that hand. Is there anybody else? If you're online this morning, just jump on the chat and tell the chat host up there we have an online campus pastor who will pray with you, who will, who will uh, absolutely uh, answer any questions you have. So, so say, yeah, that's me. I, I want to I ask Christ into my heart. Once and for all, I want to let the controls go and I want to give it to him and I want to swim in his river because I'm tired of trying to control everything in my life. It doesn't go well for me anyway. If that's you, is there anybody else? Okay, I see that hand. That's a couple of you. There's a third one. Anyone else? Well, let's pray together, okay? I'm gonna pray. I want you to repeat what I say and pray it from your heart, but the whole church will pray with you this morning. Let's say, Lord Jesus, come into my life today. I invite you in to be my Savior, to be my Lord. I give you the controls and I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I want to live for you. I want to be yours. And I want to be in relationship with you. I love you, Jesus. And I thank you that you are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that this morning for the first time, I'm telling you, all of heaven is having a party. That's what the Bible says. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner turns uh, from their ways and receives Christ. And so, thank you for setting off a party in heaven. Yeah. Amen. And also, if, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, please stop by and, and just let me know so I can get you some material or, or at least be praying for you um, or talk to the person and or talk to the person that brought you here today and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll encourage you to, to come and, and uh, just get some ministry with us or with, with someone in the church here, some prayer, whatever you need. We love you so much. Guys, thank you for being the frozen chosen today. And uh, for those of you at home, thanks for joining in. We love you and we're so glad that you joined us. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.